Go on and have a seat, you guys. As JB mentioned earlier, we do have the pleasure of having uh, Rich Clegg uh, come to us this morning. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Rich uh, came up, as many do, with a uh, short-term summer missions to New Hampshire and went back home to uh, Virginia Tech, I believe, and uh, God said, you're not done with New Hampshire. New Hampshire's not done with you. I'm not done with you there. And uh, almost 10 years ago, I guess 2012, if I read correctly, uh, he and his wife moved up here with another young couple, other graduates from Southeastern Seminary, uh, to plant a church on Manchester's west side, uh, what's now Faithbridge Church uh, there on uh, Main Street on, on the west side of Manchester. It's a thriving church in that community. Right now, uh, Rich leads the uh, New Hampshire Baptist Association as our director of missions, uh, coordinating the work of the, uh, all the SBC churches here in New England and all those affiliate with our association, uh, encouraging them, strengthening them, uh, bringing mission teams to New Hampshire, um, helping all those churches uh, continue God's uh, vision, God's purpose, and God's mission for those churches. Uh, soon he'll step up to a very similar role with the uh, Baptist Convention of New England as the coordinator for New Hampshire uh, missions. And so we're excited to have uh, Rich Clegg here today, uh, hear what God's uh, put uh, in his heart to share with us. And uh, Rich, come on up, brother. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be uh, with you all uh, today. Uh, thank you, Les, uh, for that. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Rich Clegg. I've been uh, here in uh, New Hampshire uh, for uh, 15 years. I've uh, been married to my lovely bride for 19 and a half years. Uh, she believes in, uh, and we believe in death do us part, and she has not killed me yet, uh, for which I am grateful, uh, though to live is Christ to die is gain, uh, but uh, yeah, I love her. Our six kids, our oldest is 15, just learning how to drive and all the adventure that that brings, and uh, our youngest is three, and none of them are lacking in personality or character, and uh, just grateful to the Lord, uh, the blessings they are, and our youngest five are adopted uh, through foster care here in New Hampshire, and any time I go someplace, I try to remind and encourage folks uh, of the great need that we have in our state uh, for foster parents whether it's uh, just keeping them for a night or for a weekend doing respite for another foster family, whether it's just a, a few months or a year or so as their parents get to, to a place where they can parent their children again, or for us, uh, out of the almost 30 kids we've had in our home, five have stayed. Uh, and so... Um, a huge need. Even last week, uh, there was about five babies, newborns, placed uh, in Manchester. Um, and so a huge need in Manchester here in Nashua. It is an arduous process, uh, not for the faint of heart, uh, but uh, amazing blessing as we fulfill that opportunity God has given uh, us to uh, minister to the widows and orphans in their distress. As Les shared, I am the Director of Missions for the New Hampshire Baptist Association for the next 33 days. Uh, I've served in that role uh, for almost uh, five years now as we have uh, 23 sister churches throughout the state. <clears throat> Uh, Nashua, I believe, is the second oldest out of those 23 as far as uh, being started as a Southern Baptist church. Uh, we do have one uh, that was uh, started in the 1823 uh, that has joined and become part of the family. Uh, and even the church I pastor, even though it was a merger, the original church started in 1882. 
And so uh, a huge blessing and a family to be a part of. And you see that spirit of cooperation even even this Sunday as uh, we had a kind of a three-way pulpit swap. Uh, Pastor Stevens at Island Pond, I'm here, and we have a, a young church planner uh, that is preaching in, in my place in uh, Manchester. And we can do that because of the confidence that we have in one another, the shared statement of faith that we have and, and beliefs that we hold, and, and that commitment to character and the mission of the gospel uh, to move forward in, in that regard. And Les, could I ask you a favor? I left my water sitting right there. <clears throat> Thank you. So today our text will be in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8. If you've ever watched the uh, Peanuts Christmas special, you have probably read this verse before, um, or at least heard it. So Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8. And we see, uh, see the peace of God through this as we heard about the theme of hope at our Advent reading this morning. Uh, uh, peace, hope, and love. And of course, the greatest of these is love, but uh, I don't think we're called to neglect the other two. And you see God's peace through his message and in our faithfulness to that message as we see uh, the angelic encounter uh, that the shepherds uh, face here in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Let's read together. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both <clears throat> Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message. And they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. And as we see in this passage, we see lots of different things, but I want us to focus on a few different things. First of all is the messenger. Uh, first you see the messenger of the angels, and then we'll see uh, who that message gets transferred to. So the messenger, and then we see uh, the message that they have a, a message to share. And then there's an audience for that message. Who, who receives what they are uh, speaking to? Kind of some basic themes of communication. No matter what realm or, or, or arena you live your life in, those things are always true. You have, you have someone that gives a message, the messenger. You have something that they are saying or at least trying to say, which is the message. And then you have the audience, those who are receiving that message, a basic communication. And God has a, a, something he would communicate to us. 
But then we also know that some messages uh, bring worry and anxiety and fright and fear. Some bring anger. Some bring dread. Some bring uh, uh, lightheartedness or humor. Uh, and, and some messages bring peace and hope and, and joy. And so today we're going to look at those different themes of the message and the peace that we have in Christ's message, and then applying that message. It's one thing to know, uh, as James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And that's ultimately where the true peace comes. We can know the message, but doing the message is where we find our peace. So we see, first of all, the, the messenger in verse 9, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <clears throat> first, we see this act of terror. Now, it's always interesting to me when, when people that shouldn't be afraid are afraid. Uh, that, that, that's generally when I get concerned. That's generally when I get worried, when people who shouldn't be afraid are afraid. And here, someone who shouldn't have been afraid really much of anything were the shepherds who kept watch at night. I mean, these shepherds would have seen everything throughout the years, throughout the days, keeping watch at night. They would have seen wolves. They would have seen terrible storms. They, they would have seen uh, and heard noises that were indistinguishable. They would have seen amazing things come across the night sky. They, they, they would have seen it all. And so when you see it all, not very many things make you afraid anymore. When, when you, you face... Uh, fear and maybe even face death. There aren't too many things that bring you fright. But here, the shepherds, man, it said they were terrified. This awesome presence of the angel and the glory of God shining around them. And as often God in his grace does, the first word is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But there is reason to back up that statement. It wasn't just don't be afraid for fear's sake, but there was a reasoning. There's an emphasis behind don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's good news of great joy. So the question is, what is that good news? What is that thing that will bring great joy? We see that in verse 11. It's basically the essence of the gospel for today in the city of David. A Savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the good news of great joy that this one that they had been waiting for, this promised one, the Christ, the Messiah, had come. He was going to be a Savior, a Savior to all people. And so before we do too much forward, do we embrace that truth? Do we embrace that reality of the good news of great joy that is the gospel? And of course, we see here, uh, it literally in its infant state. But as we see as the Messiah came, he came for a purpose. He came for the joy set before him, which was the cross that Jesus grew and lived a perfect life. lived a perfect life and didn't earn that penalty of sin that we rightly deserve, that we rightly owed to God. And he lived a perfect life dying on the cross for our sins, bearing the Father's wrath on our behalf, rising again on the third day in power and in glory and in might, conquering sin and death. And he says, I give, I grant eternal life to all who believe in me. I remember once when I 
was lost. I grew up, didn't grow up in a family that went to church. Um, a good family. My parents taught me right from wrong, don't steal, be a good person. I, and most people would have considered me a good kid. I was always the one that, that helped out and was helpful. I was really good at hiding my sin. Uh, maybe you're like that. <laughs> people think you're good, but you're good at hiding your sin. And, and not growing up in church, my, my friend who I spent a lot of time with, his, his aunt would make him go to church. And I'd stay a lot at his house on the weekends. And, and, uh, and, and so if he went, and sometimes I I would go to, and eventually I started going a lot. And so we, first we usually just went to Sunday school and then skipped out on church. I uh, didn't tell his aunt that we skipped out on church. We, we came home at the proper time, but we go to Sunday school mainly because there's a cute girl there. Uh, we would go to Sunday school, skip out on church, and, and then eventually we started going to Sunday school more and eventually going uh, to church more. And, and uh, at the same time, uh, I was involved and listened to a lot of hip hop, which is not Christian, but it was very spiritual, and so I knew there is a God. Uh, God's also my, wired my mind to think pretty logically, and so if there is a God, He has rules, and if He has rules, He wants me to follow Him. And if there's rules I have to follow, there's probably ways to get out of His rules. That was my fifth step. There's ways to get out of God's rules. And so I was listening a bit in Sunday school, what I was picking up in, in, in Sunday service. Uh, also in fifth grade, I came back from lunch at the public school, and every kid in the classroom had a Gideon's Bible on their desk. I assume a Gideon put there. They, this, all the, uh, the Gideons had placed some Bibles on, at the school desk in the public school, and so now I was in high school, and so I literally wiped the dust off the top of this thing because God has rules. If he has rules, I need to follow him, but there's a way to get around his rules. Now, I heard there's a thing called the Ten Commandments. We hadn't picked up on that in Sunday school or church, but I just heard of them. I, I mean, there's a movie about the Ten Commandments. And, and so I figured, well, that's a good place to start is finding out what the ten are. And, and so I began reading my, what, my Gideon's New Testament. Any Bible scholars out here? It, it, am I going to find the Ten Commandments as we would consider them listed in the New Testament? No, but I didn't know that, and this was the days before the internet. I, I didn't have a, a chance to Google it. Some of you are like, what? Why didn't you just Google it? I couldn't. And, and, and so I began reading through the Gospel of Matthew, a um, good place to start in the beginning, in the beginning of the book I had, which was the New Testament. And by the time, it took me about a month to make it through all the begats. Uh, but after I made it through that, I, I started picking up steam, and I realized, man, I've pretty much broken every rule so far at this point. And there's no skirting around Jesus's law. There's no skirting around Jesus's rule. And, and, but there is a way of escape. And so no one gave me or told me what a sinner's prayer was. Just one night beside my bed, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to pray. And so I got out of my bed and got down on my knees and prayed to God that he would save me. And I was 15 years old. At the time, I'd like to say my life was radically changed overnight. It wasn't until college that I started really walking with the Lord. Told me, someone told me I should read my Bible, and I should pray, and I should do what the Bible says. Uh, but there was a moment I was lost, and then I was found. There was a moment I realized that there was good news of great joy. And if you haven't experienced a story like that, and it probably don't be a lot different than mine, but in some ways it's going to be really similar. There's a moment in time you recognize you're a sinner. There's a moment in time you recognize you needed a Savior, and you called out to him in repentance to Jesus to save you and to rescue you from your sins. And if you haven't made that decision today, man, today is a great day to trust Christ. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, but today is a day to trust Christ, because there is good news of 
great joy. So we see the messenger of the angel. We see the message of the gospel. But then we see the audience. Who is the audience that we see at the end of verse 10? So I'm used to a little more interaction. I'll stay here all day. So, so who is the audience at the end of verse 10? Someone just yell it out. All people. Yeah, all people. Who does that leave out? Nobody. Man, the, the good news of Jesus is for all people. As Les shared, I'm director of Missions New Hampshire Baptist Association. As I shared, I'm transitioning roles in, in, in a month. So I am director of Missions New Hampshire Baptist Association. January 1, I'll be regional coordinator for New Hampshire for the Baptist Convention in New England. We just decided to, and not decided, we really think the Lord has called us in that direction to better focus ministry resources. Uh, but through that transition, I've done a lot of research. I, I went through four filing cabinets uh, of files, which let me tell you, that's a blessing. And, and so as I'm going through all these filing cabinets, I, I'm reading through history of churches, and I came across a, a big old file of Nashua Baptist history. And I was reading through there, I think it was probably late 70s, early 80s. There wasn't a date on the documents, but it's given an early history of the church. And at the end of this document, it just struck me as an amazing thing. Because sometimes we think doom and gloom, oh, New England's so tough, oh, no one goes to church here, oh, oh it's COVID, it's tough to share the gospel. We've got a million different reasons why we can say things are tough. Uh, but at the end of that, of that missions report, the history of the church, of Nashua Baptist Church, this church, it, it says, uh, we are one of the few Southern Baptist churches in the area. Our, our opportunity for growth is unlimited. They recognize that we're the few lighthouses for the gospel in the, in the area, in the region. And, and so what does that mean? Man, our opportunity for growth is unlimited. That we have an amazing opportunity here in Nashville, here in Manchester, really any place you place your foot in this world uh, to share the good news of Jesus. Even, uh, man, I make sure you take this with you. This is like gold. Uh, um, this week we get a prayer for international missions as our 3,800 missionaries that we get to support through the International Mission Board are taking the gospel forward on our behalf. And as we give to that mission endeavor, why do we do that? Because why? We recognize the good news of great joy is for all people. And so we want to do everything that we can to make sure that mission goes forward. We want to do everything we can do to make sure that mission goes forward because it is for all people. Now, everyone nods their heads when I say that. But some of you, a majority of you, got someone in your mind that you think the gospel's not for. You won't say it out loud because we're in church on Sunday and we don't do stuff like that. But, but some of you got someone in your mind either you don't think would ever receive the gospel or maybe you got a hurt or a pain or, or some sort of broken relationship. And deep down, you don't want to admit it. You don't want to say it. But you almost want to say, man, I hope they don't embrace the gospel. So now we got a problem. As Henry Blackaby would call it, the crisis of belief. So now that we have to hold on to our own ideas, our own perceptions, our own prejudices, our own pain in history. Do we hold on to that or do we hold on to the truth that God has clearly laid out for us that the gospel is for all? 
Because we're about to see in a minute the messenger changes. We all like the idea of the angel coming down from heaven and the glory of God shining around him. We love that for one of two reasons. One, it's an awesome and beautiful picture of God's majesty and grace reaching down to humanity. But two, it gets us off the hook. I'll just wait till the angel comes down. But the, the messenger shifts. We see in verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, what the Lord has made known to us. Why? Because the, the messenger gave the message and then sent out more messengers. Yeah, sounds pretty familiar. Great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It seems to be God's plan of multiplying messengers. And so when the angel left, they said, let's listen to him. <laughs> let's obey God. Let's obey the command of God. And then they went straight to Bethlehem. We don't know what happened to the sheep. God must have took care of them. But they, they had a greater mission still. Sermon for another day. Maybe when you have me back next time. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing them, what'd they do? Verse 17, they reported the message. They reported the message which they are told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. That's the beautiful simplicity of the gospel. That we just have to report the message. We just have to report the message. And sometimes reality is people shoot the messenger. And, and so I realize there's some hardship that can come in reporting the message. Uh, I'm not ignorant of that reality. Uh, but our command, our commitment is simply reporting the message that has been given to us. But I love the response of the shepherds. They saw this as an awesome opportunity. They saw this as an amazing privilege. They, there was an intense and immediate obedience to the call that they had been given, and they went straight away. But all they had to do was report the message. At our church, I, it's been a while actually since I did this. It was a reminder to myself to do it. That sometimes people get wound up and it's like, make the gospel too hard. And, and part of my role as director of missions is sitting on ordination councils. So new pastors being called to the ministry, they, they sit in a room and basically get grilled for a couple hours on everything from theology to personal walk, philosophy of ministry, everything. And, and, and it's become kind of my shtick to ask them what the gospel is. And I always preface it because they always get it wrong. And most of these guys have been the seminary. Most of them have been trained well. Most of them actually know what the gospel is. They just make it too hard. And so I always preface the question. I'm like, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to throw you a, a, a curveball. I, I, I'm asking a very simple question. What is the gospel? And they'll start and, I mean, they'll go on for 30 minutes. And, and when they're done talking, I'm like, you still didn't get it. It, it, it. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and so I asked my church, church, what is the gospel? And it, they'll sum it up, I guess it sounds like a cult almost. He came, he died, he rose. 
Six words. You can remember that, can't you? I mean, when you talk to someone, you share, you got to share who the he is. You got to share why he came. You got to share what he died for. You got to say the importance and majesty of why he rose. I mean, I mean but, but most of us can remember a six-word outline. Most of you, well, no one remembers phone numbers anymore. But back in the day when we did remember phone numbers, we at least could remember uh, seven unique um, units of information. And so most of us can remember six unique, and they're not entirely unique, units of information that he came, that he died, that he rose. And that we've been called to report that message. There's amazing joy in sharing Jesus. It's a joy that I don't think you can experience anywhere or any way else. And they're just obedient to the call. And through that, you find peace, we see in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, which they had just been told. And you remember this encounter started in great fear. The shepherds, the ones who shouldn't be afraid, were afraid. The shepherds were trembling. They were terrified. But man, when they went back to the flock, they were skipping. There's a joy in their step. I mean, they, they were, I could just kind of picture the jovial whistling, just happy. I mean, just, why? Because they'd seen an amazing work of God in their life. These shepherds who were kind of looked down as the lowly and the downcast of society had seen the glory. God, they seen, were some of the first on earth to see the Messiah, the promised one. They've been given a message. They've been given a purpose. And what happened? They had peace. They went and returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard in which they'd just been told. This idea of peace, which is a very sentimental idea of peace and we think ah, if the right environment is created or the right circumstances are present or 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 i'm in the right mood and then i'll find peace and those things can be helpful but that's not where true peace lies <clears throat> true peace lies in hearing and receiving the message and then obeying it because there's plenty of people who hear and receive the truth of God's word, and quite honestly, if they don't obey it, it's terrifying. I mean, if someone hears the gospel and rejects it, there's no peace there. That's the most terrifying place in all of eternity to be, one who has heard and rejected the good news of the gospel. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And as a pastor of 15 years, I can tell you some of the most miserable people on the entire face of the earth are disobedient Christians. I've seen lots of miserable people. I mean, people in the hospital, people in the deathbed, people. I mean, I've seen lots of miserable people, and some of the most miserable are disobedient Christians. Because why? They've heard and received the word of God, but they're not obeying it. And God is a loving father. And what do loving fathers do? They discipline their children. And so hearing and receiving without obedience brings no peace. It brings discipline. And so where does peace lie? Peace lies in being hearers of the word and doers also. Now, this isn't some works-based religion. This isn't some works-based peace. This is 
faith-filled righteousness, faith-filled works, Holy Spirit-inspired action. But as we do that, then we'll have peace. We'll have peace if we're locked up in the dungeon. We'll have peace when we face hardship at work. We'll have peace when our spouse turns on us. We'll have peace when our kids reject us. We'll have peace when we've got to try to sing with a mask on. As we hear and receive God's word and then obey, it's then we'll find peace. And that's why the holidays are so difficult for so many. They get wrapped up in all the sparkle and the bling, which I love. Well, if I just came down from Lincoln this morning, cutting down a tree out in the woods, it doesn't get any more New Hampshire than that. But peace comes through hearing and obeying. Like the old song says, I won't sing, I can't sing well. Trust and obey, there's no other way. And are we willing to follow him? As we wrap up, first of all, have you received the message? Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and have you received the message of God's grace? That apart from him, we're hell-bound in our sin. Apart from him, that the wages of sin is death, but in his grace and his goodness that he sent his promise when the Messiah, the Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. That's what we celebrate saying, Emmanuel, God with us. And he died on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty that we deserved. He rose again on the third day, which is amazing. It's amazing. I hear people say, I don't believe Jesus died, rose from the dead. And I say, well, where do you think happens when you die? I'll go to heaven. Well, if God can't raise God from the dead, what hope do you have? You ever think about that? Paul thought about that. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, there's your homework for today. If God can't raise God from the dead, what hope do we have? But God did raise God from the dead. And if God can raise God, then what lowly old me is no problem at all. And so the amazing power of the resurrection, we can find new hope, we can have new life, we can have forgiveness of sins, And so have you received that good news of Jesus? And if you have, now you're one of the shepherds. And now you got a story to tell. Now you got a message to share. And so are we being faithful in that call that Jesus has given us? To go. Go and share the good news of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the peace that can be found through Christ. Oh, Lord, let us rest in you. Let us rest in your goodness. Let us rest in your grace. Let us rest in your mercy. Lord, I praise you as Emmanuel, God with us. This one who stepped out of eternity and stepped on the earth the God of the universe taking on flesh. That amazing miracle of the incarnation. Lord, that you'd humble yourself. Not only humbling yourself by taking on flesh, but Lord, humbling yourself 
by dying on the cross. And Lord, we stand in awe of that gift of grace of salvation that you paid for on Calvary's tree. And Lord, if we have trusted in you, we've believed in you, Lord. You have given us a message of good news, of great joy for all people. And Lord, we can get overwhelmed by the enormity of all people. And so, Lord, bring some focus into our lives. Lord, that we can't all reach all, but we can all reach some. And so, Lord, show us there's some in our life. Lord, maybe it's our neighbor, maybe it's our co-worker, maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our mom or our dad, maybe it's a, a, someone that we have a estranged relationship with. And Lord, I pray even now, Lord, as you've used this church as a lighthouse for the gospel over all these years, Lord, that you'd call some from this place to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, that you'd call some from Nashua Baptist Church to, uh, to take the gospel to the nations. And today would be the day they would say yes to you, that I have a message to share, and I'll share it to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you for the calling that we have in the gospel. Lord, I thank you for the calling that we have as a family of churches. And Lord, we look forward to that day that we enter into your presence. But until that day, Lord, let us be found faithful. Let us walk in the peace of Christ, that peace that surpasses all understandings. We love you and we praise you, the one who was born, the one who died, the one who rose the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.